welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul Frederick. So this is seven reasons why the Diabolicon is important to the left-hand path. And this is largely inspired by uh, the recent uh, publication of the uh, Michael Aquino 50-year anniversary revision of the Satanic Bible, in which he replaced the infernal diatribe with the Diabolicon. And so this has given me pause to reflect on the significance of that document and why that document is such a valid one and why it is so integral to the modern left-hand path. So when I first read that section of the... uh, Aquino Satanic Bible, it filled me with a sense of divine justice. I remembered back to the days when I first discovered the Satanic Bible. I was 13 years old. It was 1983. I was an isolated and antisocial youth. And when I found that book, those are some of the first words that I recall reading that kindled within me a new hope for the future. Um, and, and the future to me up to that point had seemed really very hopeless based upon, um, my life at the time, you know, I had experienced a death in the family, a remarriage, uh, moved around a lot, a lot of rapid, uh, change that was a little bit more than most, uh, uh, kids that age would handle. When I first read the infernal diatribe, not only was I inspired with the strength to fight against the collectivism and defeatism in my daily life at the time, but as well my sense of wonder was stirred by the suggestion that these words in the book of Satan were actually the words of Satan himself. So Anton, he doesn't just come out and say that when you're reading the uh, infernal diatribe, the book of Satan, but it's implied. So if you Go on to assume that. He doesn't say anything to stop you from assuming that. A young kid who was like thirsty for like knowledge from the beyond, it was very easy for me to make that that leap into that assumption. So I got lots of inspiration from this and then flash forward 15 years and it comes out that the entirety of the Book of Satan was plagiarized from someone named Ragnar Redbeard. And this is just common knowledge now. So not only were those words not the words of the Prince of Darkness himself, but they were not even really the words of Anton LaVey. So how do you deal with that? Someone you consider to be a great uh, spiritual teacher in some sense, and you find out, well, that he just lifted it from someone else. And we know he did this with a number of other things too. You gothic workings in the satanic rituals we now know were done by written by Michael Aquino, never given any credit for it. I mean, how easy would it have been for him to just give them credit? I mean, and who knows about the other rituals who they were uh, lifted from? Could be anyone. So that's really hard to deal with. You know, a lot of people who've continued 
deal with it in a weird kind of, I, I feel kind of a double think kind of way about it where you don't want to, I mean, you just, you, you can't exist. The, the idea of Anton being a charlatan can't exist in your mind next to the idea of Anton being a magus. So what do you do? Well, you kind of like accept them both by overlooking it, overlooking the plagiarism or else you talk about, they talk about, they start talking about Ragnar Redbeard. What a great, book that Radnar Redbeard wrote and that was a great idea that Anton had to include that in there and they just sort of like just you know look past the, the plagiarism aspect of it so you know we all have our own ways of like dealing with this stuff and and you know even for me I'm not going to say that that invalidates everything that Anton LeMay ever said there's a lot that he said that's super important and I still consider him Omegas and I consider his satanic Bible to be significant and a powerful book, even, you know, despite these things, you know, suffice it to say, make a long story short, when I saw Aquino's Diabolicon replacing the infernal diatrib, I had an immediate sense of cosmic justice from this. So here's a document that will allow you to at least entertain the possibility of divine inspiration. But if you can't swallow that, you can at least feel confident that the author even if he's just a mortal man, that that author sincerely believes in what he is writing about and is taking the time and effort to actually write it all himself and, and is willing to say, you know, I'm, in, in writing this, I was stretching my mind as far as I could to be in the headspace of what I think these principles are and what they represent. So beyond all that, looking at the document itself, the Diabolicon, and there's several things the Diabolicon outlines and integrates, all of which are key elements, I feel, to success and happiness on the left-hand path. And these are things that set this document apart from, you know, Ragnar Redbeard's document, which is largely um, an angry document. Sometimes anger is useful for breaking away from things, but anger is not a headspace that you want to be in long-term because you cannot see the truth while you are angry. So think about um, Zarathustra's teachings about the lie and about the druge and about how all of this is made possible by Angra Mainyu, which means the angry mind. That's his evil, is the angry mind. And we see anger all around us today. I mean, you can like sit and watch YouTube for hours and watch people being angry at each other. And when people are angry, they are non-conscious, they're mechanical, they are not in control of themselves, they are not remanifesting their own true will, they are subject to the will of something else. When you are angry, something else is moving through you, something else is in control, something else is taking advantage of you. So. Sometimes you get angry and you need to break away from things, but you need to understand the role, the place of anger as an emotion in your life needs to be one that uh, appears only intermittently and for not very long. And once you realize that you're in an anger state, your highest goal should be to get out of that state. So here's uh, seven reasons why the Diabolicon is significant to the left-hand path. Number one, the Diabolicon is a highly moral 
tale. The events of the story center around the ideal that the individual is sovereign and that rational self-interest and personal responsibility are some of the highest virtues. The demons of the Diabolicon are put in situations where they have to make decisions about what they're going to do, what they're going to do with the black flame, what they're going to do with themselves, and what they're, what they're going to do and how that affects uh, the relationship with man who they have this bond with. And so it's this moral stance, a morality of personal sovereignty and self-empowerment and rational self-interest, which guides them in making those decisions. For instance, after seeing how the forces of Maslow, which represents the forces of mechanicalism and the lie, after they see how these attempt to pervert the gift of sapience to man, they're tempted to intervene themselves. And uh, they talk about this in uh, the book of uh, Satan Archdemon. Many there were among us who felt anger at this ruthless mutilation of our gift, and Beelzebub brought to question whether we also should not descend among man and contest this usurpation of his will. But I said, were we to lead man in this venture, we ourselves would declare his failure, and he would believe our gift to be weak indeed. Messiah must see that free will is beyond the concern of God and that man will finally win his own destiny apart from all dictated schemes. So this gets back to that very old idea, which you hear me talking about a lot, that, that the ultimate moral stance is, is freedom versus coercion that the only real evil is coercion. And they talk about this in Thelemic circles. So they mentioned this on, um, I was watching the Strange Angels documentary, or not documentary, docudrama, about the life of Jack Parsons, which is an excellent series. I highly recommend it to everyone. The most realistic series on television today. But the Grand Magus in there criticizes someone, of like uh, uh, one of their students, to uh, that coercion, it, 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 I, I don't think it was exactly these words, but it's really close. That coercion is the only evil. Do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. And the only evil is to uh, interfere with someone else's uh, doing of their will. So as long as no one harms each other, everyone should be able to do what they want. That is the moral uh, stance of the Diabolicon as well. So the left-hand path, this is why I consider Alistair Crowley a uh, lord of the left-hand path, because the ethos of his teaching is has carried through the left-hand path in very fundamental ways. So in the end, the daemons realize that interfering with the free will of another being is the most immoral, immoral act imaginable. So number two, the Diabolicon has a clear metaphysics. And when I say metaphysics, I'm not talking metaphysics like when you go into the bookstore and you go to the metaphysical section and you find New Age books. I'm talking about metaphysics in the sense that they would talk about this at a university uh, philosophy department, that metaphysics is the study of like what things really are, what really constitutes reality. And so there's really some fundamental, um, fundamental theories about this, which basically come down to the philosophies of Aristotle, Plato, or Kant. 
And the metaphysics of the diabolicon clearly indicates that human self-consciousness levels are the result of a metaphysical intervention from higher conscious forces in the interest of conscious evolution. The source is external and it is substantial and the resulting metaphysical state of humanity as fundamentally sovereign beings gives form to and directs the evolution of that morality. In other words, if we were created as free individuals, then acting in favor of the freedom and individuality is ever the way of virtue. And at the same time, the metaphysics of the Diabolicon are largely Aristotelian. Newton and Galileo are mentioned, as well as the idea that the design of man, which is a microcosm, gives clues to the structure of the cosmos, which is the macrocosm. In other words, there's a connection between microcosm and macrocosm, which is, this is one of the oldest magical uh, esoteric ideas out there. There's a, the, the, you know, man's system is a map of the great universe out here. By studying this universe here, we can learn about the universe that's out there. And that the right-hand path has been based on the idea that man must conform to the macrocosm. Whereas the left-hand path acknowledges that man is independent of and that can influence the, the macrocosm come to reflect his will. So uh, the Diabolicon talks about this in the statement of Asmodeus, where he says, To Democritus I spoke, and I saw the radiations of energy freed from matter, both build and break man's worlds. So this is a reference to the atomic age here. And man neglected not his own design, for in minute life he found clue to his own and scarce hints of the original creation. And Asmodeus led mathematicians and astronomers to the wonders of the firmament. And I walked within the thought of scholars on quiet evenings. And within great capitals and mean villages alike, I spoke of the brotherhood of all man and all this correlation to the forces of earth and those of the universe beyond. The Diabolicon also suggests a social system based on free will. And this is totally in line with Magus Crowley's teachings on Thelema. Man is a creature of free will. It's a part of his design and his purpose to discover and actualize his own free will. It's part of the reason for him being here and part of his destiny. So Satan Archdamon speaks of this. He says, what man art thou? Why thy presence? Because thy own purpose determines that of the cosmos itself, though otherwise it may have been suggested. The creation, perpetuation, and exercise of the satanic marvel that is free and unbounded will. There's no way to CB to uh, get around this. You either recognize the existence of free will or you do not. And if you have problems with free will, you're going to have problems with the left-hand path. And this is why we see so many uh, profanations and, and twisting of left-hand path ideas nowadays is because people go into it, they, they um, resonate with the imagery of it and the idea of it without having actually grappled with these really 
fundamental questions. And the first one is free will. Do you think you have it? Do you think you deserve to have it? Should others be allowed to have it? You have to see where you come down with this to be able to make any kind of progress at all on the left-hand path. Number four, the Diabolicon posits the existence of a force. Throughout the text, this force is referred to as the Black Flame. It also describes the components of the Black Flame as substance, energy, and purposefulness. And this equates to the SET formula that I discuss in the book, Damonosophy, and also illustrated in my fictional work, The Airbeth Transmissions. So Dr. Aquino also further illustrates the concept of a substantial black flame in his Star Wars reimagining, Starfire, which is why I mentioned this as a force, because they're very similar concepts. And you know, the force is very much inspired by ancient systems like the Chinese Tao and Qi, Prana and Vril, Orgone, all those things. So in Star Wars, or in Starfire, Dr. Aquino's Starfire, which used to be called uh, the dark side uh, when it was in a manuscript form, it's revealed in here that the word Sith is a reference to a substance, which is like, it's basically the black flame. It's an ancient substance which has an energizing and transformative effect on self-consciousness and is ultimately super substantial. And this is ultimately the secret of the Jedi's power. It's the secret of the black magician's power too in the Diabolicon or what he refers to as the black magus. So he talks about this a lot in the book of Belial in the Diabolicon. He says, I am Belial, who bring to thee the third great key of hell, by whose power ye shall confound all the laws of heaven and earth. Before thee shall chaos fall, and thou shalt wield for thyself the great mysteries of the macrocosmos. I speak to thee of that which is called the black magic, for it is the true spawn of that great black flame, which first brought thy will to life long ages ago. To counsel with Satan, I also was called, and the Lord of Light said to me, Into thy charge, Damon of Essence, I give the essence of my own being, the black fire, whose power alone can affect creation by force of will. Against thee who wield the black magic, no law shall stand. And thus I call thee Belial, who art one without master. And as I have bequeathed this essence to thee, so let it come finally to man, who shall overcome the great balance and bring to the flame a change. For in supremacy it shall become red with the perfection of the will of man. So you can further equate it with the other uh, esoteric energies, like I said, like Vril, Chi, Prana, and Orgone. But in the end, the scientific validity isn't as important as the benefits of simply adopting the Aristotelian mode of interpreting phenomena. Now note that this is distinct from the Platonic mode, where it's presumed a certain class of phenomena take place in an intangible, non-material realm of ideas. Now there's places where the Platonic uh, mode is, is useful and recommended. My point here is that 
the Diabolicon is, doesn't really follow that. The Diabolicon follows a more Aristotelian mode where it presumes all phenomena to be occurring in a real and substantial world that is accessible to all conscious beings. So that's why um, goes back to why I say that it, it the Diabolicon emphasizes a specific metaphysics and that metaphysics is largely Aristotelian. Number five, the Diabolicon addresses the nature of immortality. So the satanic view of immortality espoused in LaVey's satanic Bible is very much in line with the Ragnar Redbeard proclamation that your immortal spirit will live on in the brains and sinews of those whose respect you have gained. As hungrily as I devoured the Satanic Bible when I was younger, I was always kind of dissatisfied with this idea that my own life beyond Earth was contingent on people on Earth continuing to think or talk about me. Doesn't that make me kind of reliant on them and thus not in control and thus not really immortal? So you see, this is the idea espoused by uh, ex, uh, Satanic Temple person, Brian Warner, whose rants I enjoy very much, who once said that you die twice, once when you die, and then again when the last person who remembers you on Earth dies. Now, if you've seen the movie uh, Coco with a uh, Mexican Day of the Dead mythology, Santa Muerte, such what, does it have the similar idea there that, well, you when you're stuck in this limbo realm of, of uh, life after death, you're only going to be there for as long as someone on earth remembers you. And when the last person on earth remembers you, then you die uh, from there. You die permanently, I guess. So it's just, uh, I, I just don't care for this, I, this, this whole idea. I mean, there might be some folkish wisdom behind it. The thing about it is it makes you conscious of how you treat people in this world, that you should achieve um, or strive to, die an honorable death. And this is something that Gurdjieff talked about in his teaching. Gurdjieff once said that my whole teaching can be distilled to uh, reordering everything in your life to the one goal of dying an honorable death. And if you can do that, then that will make you a better person. And at the same time, might help you develop a certain quantity within yourself that actually will help you survive into the afterlife. And that's where it gets interesting. So if your existence beyond is based on what other people think, it means you don't really have any control over it. Now, if you're a musician or an actor or a performer, which is like what all the characters in that Coco movie were based on, you imagine if your life is actually dependent on your audience, if your life is actually dependent on getting good reviews, you realize how, how, tenuous that is and how unreliable that is. I mean, that's not even immortality. That's not even worth like bargaining for, if you ask me. So not so in the Diabolicon. There is a pattern for immortality suggested in the Diabolicon. There is a pattern of immortality suggested within the Aristotelian mode, which is often overlooked by hardcore Neoplatonists. And improvement of the self in this life helps one to create the necessary perspective and desire needed to continue beyond existence in the universe that is. 
And in the Diabolicon, this all has something to do with Leviathan and this mysterious figure called the Red Magus. In that book, he says, Leviathan is, ab is the absolute man. And if thou would presume to realize what neither heaven nor hell may affect, know that when thou behold the presence of Leviathan, thy end hath been attained. Only through obliteration of the universe that is, may man seal his mastery of the black flame. For only thus may he know that he is not subject to a greater will. Heaven must perish, hell must perish, and man alone must remain ere the black flame becomes red in the glory of its perfection. Then the red magus shall behold only Leviathan, and he shall recognize that he has become the perfect mind who shall remake the cosmos in the eternal glory of his satanic will. Number six. The Diabolicon resolves the Miltonian paradox. So this is the old idea that Satan conquering would become God and God dethroned would become Satan. This illustrates the problem that you see with many theistic Satanists who talk about praying to Satan. They refer to Satan as the father and so forth. See, folks like this simply haven't gone through and resolved that Miltonian paradox. They simply decided that the God of the Christians doesn't represent them. So they're replacing that God with a new, cooler, hipper, gothic God. Who they call Satan, who does represent them. So the problem here is they simply haven't thought deeply enough about this fundamental problem. And the problem here should be obvious. If you're going to act in a groveling and subservient way to a father God, then what's the matter if your God is gothic or not? You're still wishing the same thing. You're still wishing for cosmic inclusion and someone to take care of everything for you, for them to put their arm or arms around you and say, we care for you. You're okay. We endorse you. And the Satanist, the black magician, the Sedian, does not seek this kind of validation from others or from the universe. We take responsibility unto ourselves. You're submitting to the collective and following the right-hand path if you do this, regardless of whether you call your God uh, Satan, Lucifer. It takes more than a change of wardrobe to get off the right-hand path. And this principle should be obvious. You can see it in the political cycle. Everyone thinks their new presidential candidate is going to shake things up when they get into office, and they're going to really change things this time. But then... They get there in office, regardless of party affiliation, the result is always the same. Status quo continues on and the size of government continues to get bigger. And Diabolicon resolved this paradox when Lucifer makes it clear to everyone that he is not God and has no intention of taking over that throne. He says, through the gates of hell we passed. And many of us had supposed hell to be a new heaven, wherein Lucifer would become as God. But this was not to be, for the scene before us promised neither ease nor bliss. Everywhere was there imbalance and confusion, for no law ordered the shape of hell. Oh, God, and that we are each of us an isolate being, 
Here shall freedom be absolute, for hell itself shall reflect our several wills, never to be patterned apart from them. That's the words of Beelzebub there. So how many leaders or revolutionaries have the degree of conviction that having got to the throne, they say, no thanks. Let's all just get on with our own business. In the Lord of the Rings, this is equivalent to the, someone saying, no thanks, I don't want the ring. I'm just going to throw it in the fires of Mordor. It's too bad you can't throw our current political institutions into the fires of Mordor. But according to the Diabolicon, that's exactly what Lucifer did. He gave us the proclivity for freedom, fought for our right to keep it, and then didn't get in the way of us continuing on with it. Finally, number seven, the Diabolicon establishes the finality of the gift. This is the idea that once given, the gift of self-awareness can never be recalled and it can never be dispensed with. And the classic line is from the book of Balliol, where he says, Satan himself is not God, and hell can offer no salvation to those who abuse the gift of Satan. For the gift itself is beyond the control of hell once given, being subject to the will of the black magus alone. So this is illustrated quite commonly in the Old Testament story of Adam and Eve. First, there's the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this is only another dumbed-down metaphor for the black flame, the gift of self-awareness. Becoming self-aware means becoming like a god. And it's put there by the serpent, who clearly represents the prince of darkness in the Old Testament context. The new awareness Adam and Eve get from eating the fruit makes them aware of their nakedness. And the end result of it all is that they realize they can't go back. They have to leave Eden forever. So in more recent times, the same idea is represented in the popular film, The Matrix, with the red pill versus the blue pill. Once you take that red pill, you're wakened to a reality that you can never wake up from because it's not a dream anymore. The red pill is a great modern meme for illustrating this concept, but for those of us who've been studying the Diabolicon for a while now, it's just another way of describing an ancient truth, that the gift once given is beyond the control of hell, and you can never go back. Well, thank you, my friends, for spending this time with me, and remember, keep the dark fire. Perfect.